0: Our Gospel this morning is the opening to the Gospel of John. Now I acknowledge that I'm a young minister and I haven't had the chance to preach on this passage many times, but I'll be honest, y'all, I kind of give up. It's beautiful writing, but making sense of it is incredibly difficult. And yet it's so emotionally compelling. This is a piece of scripture that speaks to the heart instead of the head. It makes sense in my soul, but not in my mind. And I think that's what John was intending for us. We're gathered this morning after the shepherds, after the animals in the stable and the innkeepers and the children's pageants, and all of those things. We've finished preparing for the birth of Christ, and that amazing event has actually happened. So this gathering here on Christmas morning has an essential question to it, which is, now what? Now what? What does it mean now that the light has shone in the darkness? What are we to do? What are we to believe? How are we to make sense of such a nonsensical event? So of course, only poetry can do justice to this mystery. Only the words of John that speak to our hearts and not our heads can be there for us as we turn to this question. Now what? It is a profoundly theological question, and John gives us a profoundly theological answer. Because while last night we were looking at just a very small snippet of the picture of the life of Christ, this morning we have stepped back and panned out not just to the entire story of Christ's salvation of humanity, but all the way back to Genesis in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. No other gospel begins at this point. Matthew begins with the ministry of John the Baptist and these genealogies. Luke has a genealogy, and Mark just begins somewhere in the middle of Jesus' adult life and ministry. John is the one who takes us back to the beginning, Bereshit, it says in the Hebrew scriptures, the first word in the Bible, in the beginning. And it makes us think about the creation of the world, because this seems to say that Jesus Christ was there somehow, in the creation. And that's a pretty bold claim, and an interesting claim, and one that would have puzzled the Jewish listeners of this text. They would have known very well that the book of Genesis does contain two accounts of creation. The first, in which God creates everything that is and all of creation through words, speaking over the muk and guk, as it says in the scriptures, the tofu vabohu. He speaks over it, and things come to be. He speaks, and there is light. God speaks, and there are creatures. God speaks, and there are land. And we also know, as the readers and listeners of this text would have known, that there's a second account of creation. And in this one, God is down on hands and knees, molding human being from the earth, giving God's own breath into what God has made that it might live. It's a very different vision of a God. It's more earthy quite literally. We go from this lofty and uplifted and almighty all-powerful being who speaks and things happen to a worker digging in the dirt with hands, blowing air to give life. There is a tension in these two narratives. And it's a tension that I have heard many people who are critics of the church, critics of Christianity, who say, well, there's two stories of creation. They cancel each other out. Therefore, the whole thing can't be true. But it's that tension that shows us exactly what John, I think, is trying to tell us because these two visions of God are also two visions of Jesus. Jesus is both lofty and uplifted and high and mighty and powerful, who can make amazing things happen just by speaking. And Jesus is also a worker, digging in the dirt with his hands, forming and molding people into disciples, Forming and molding us, even as we speak. The tension that was there in these moments of creation also exists in the person of Jesus Christ, in Jesus's divinity and humanity. So lest we get too lost in the theological and the theoretical, It's very important to me when I read these lessons and when I study scripture that I find the so what. What does it matter to me? Well, to me what this means is that God is both. God is both an amazing creator, a powerful force beyond my wildest imaginations that only poetry can describe, And God is also an active presence in my life. God is digging in the dirt of my heart and planting seeds that I may not even understand yet, but God is there and God is caring for me, little old me. It's the same God who created the stars and the rivers and the seas and every living thing on this planet that also cares for me. It's hard to understand. It's hard to involve our brains in this kind of a conversation, but the heart gets it. The heart knows that we are beloved by God, who is the most powerful and almighty force that we can possibly imagine. So this, for me, is the so what. And the now what? Well, that's a much bigger question, isn't it? Now what do I do with this knowledge that I am loved beyond measure by a God who is so powerful, a God who created everything that is? It's a good question to ask ourselves during this Christmas season. Because the implications of understanding that love and understanding that power means that our only choice is to go out into the world and sing for joy. To sing the story of our redemption, that a God who was so lofty and uplifted and created all that is also cared enough to get down into the soil in our hearts by giving us a son, by giving us a teacher to mold us and shape us with a power beyond our wildest imaginations. We cannot help but sing this story, and we cannot help but show to others through our love that they are loved in just the same way. Merry Christmas.